Hello, my name is Dave Gonzalez, and I haven't read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joanna Robinson. I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm Neil Miller, and I have also read all of those books. We are headed back to Westeros to cover the Game of Thrones spinoff series, House of the Dragon. We'll be answering your questions, so send us a raven at trialbycontent at gmail.com. Take some bread and salt and join us Thursdays on the Trial by Content feed, and don't worry, you're safe. The Reigns of Castamere hasn't even been written yet. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. That's for you. No. No. That's for somebody called She-Hulk, which can't possibly be what they're calling me. Lady Hulk, Girl Hulk, She-Hulk. Come on. Just <laughs> give them what they want. Hello, and welcome into the Ringerverse, the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. No need to stand, but this episode is in session. I am the honorable, sometimes honorable Ben Lindbergh, a senior editor at the Ringer. I'm joined by my fellow senior editor, Cal, making his Ringerverse debut. Cal, congrats on losing your Ringerverse virginity. Cap would be proud. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't I didn't realize it was going to be for the She-Hulk, but I, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Would you mind if we saved your origin story for a future episode instead of taking a page from the She-Hulk playbook and <laughs> squeezing it all into your first episode? Hey, uh, th that's probably preferred. My, my origin story may be a little bit more detailed, but I, I will say I did appreciate that. I did appreciate that. <laughs> right. Just imagine all the mind body beach stuff happening off screen here we worked that out already you mastered your <laughs> podcasting powers so fast that made me jealous so suffice <laughs> it to say you're a lifelong marvel fan you wrote about she hulk last week for the ringer.com what a great website and you're pretty into this series so far as something new for the mcu as am i yeah, it's uh, it, it with a lot going on in the, in phase four, which we may get into a little bit later. That's kind of been kind of confusing. It's been fun to just have a show that doesn't take the MCU so seriously and 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 allows itself to have a lot of fun. 
So some of you have heard me on this feed before doing deep dives into Star Wars, but Huts and Twi'leks and Trandoshans and whatever we're calling Yoda and Baby Grogs these days are, are not the only green-skinned characters I am licensed to discuss. I've taken an intensive crash course in She-Hulk history, so I'm ready to lay some lore on you as needed. But a few programming notes before we get to today's topic. Joanna Robinson has already racked up about six hours of podcasting this week, but she's just getting warmed up. So she and Mallory Rubin will be back with a House of Our Rings of Power primer on Friday. Then you can catch Mal and Joe and Chris on Talk the Thrones, giving their instant reactions to episode two of House of the Dragon on Sunday. House of Our will do their hot D deep dive next Tuesday, followed by more Midnight Boys on Wednesday. And of course, I and others will be back with weekly She-Hulk coverage. So we've got a full feed for you all. And with Rings of Power and Andor and Bad Batch and more right around the corner, it is only going to get busier, which is why we're here. Cal, they're calling up the reserves. Yeah, <laughs> so. about that. The, 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 when, when you're doing the shows about the, the C and D level characters, you get some C and D level pot. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't sell us short. We have, <laughs> we have no name, no logo, no special theme song. There's House of R, there's the Midnight Boys, there's Mint Edition. I guess that makes this the phase four of Ringerverse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're shorthanded on hosts and, and heroes. So we're working in some fresh blood, letting right. some new voices step up to the Mike, we'll try to make this more of a, a Shang-Chi debut than an Eternals debut, but we'll see how it goes. So Steve and Jomi started us off with a pod on the premiere of She-Hulk Attorney at Law last week. And now we're here to discuss episode two, entitled Superhuman Law, directed by Kat Coiro and written by creator and showrunner Jessica Gao. I feel like Mal and Joe laid down the Infinity Gauntlet with that almost three and a half hour dragon deep dive this week. They're just daring us to top them. So the question is, can we clear our schedules and do four hours on She-Hulk episode two? You with me? <laughs> I, I, I may have a couple things going on later today. We'll see. We'll see. Clear your afternoon. Cancel your meetings. <laughs> We're here for the long haul. No, I don't doubt that we could do it, but don't worry. I'm kidding. I just <laughs> wanted to make Arjuna nervous. This was a, a short She-Hulk, so we'll try to keep this tighter than America's ass. So in the interest of speeding things along and getting in the She-Hulk spirit, Let's stick to a, a trial-style format for this one. So we'll start with some opening statements. So in an interview with Variety last week, Jessica Gao revealed that the origin story and the training sequence that made up most of last week's pilot were originally slated for episode eight of the nine-episode season. So it was decided during post-production to rearrange the order and bump up the Jen-Bruce bonding time because of concerns that the audience would have a hard time getting to know Jen before finding out how she got to be She-Hulk. So it's probably safe to assume that this second episode is more in line with the original plan for the premiere, and it's also sort of the official kickoff for the fun lawyer show that Jen Walters teased last week. So in some ways, this was the real premiere. So first question... How do you feel about the sequencing of these episodes? And were you ready to bid goodbye to Bruce, if in fact that was goodbye, and get down to legal matters? Well, you know, I, I will say, Ben, when uh, when we, and I don't want to flex or anything like that, but when they sent, you know, four episodes of the show and we got to watch the screeners for the piece that went up on the site last week, I was thinking that they were going to drop the first two the first week, because it felt like a good compliment. You get the, the the if you want the full story about how Jen becomes She-Hulk, 
with, you know, she didn't tell anybody she was She-Hulk. That's the name she was given, we found out this week. But if you wanted that, you got that. And then you got to see what the show was really supposed to be. So I'm, I'm I, I was kind of surprised that they let the origin story hang like that because I felt like it, it wasn't a true representation of what the show can be. And I think episode two and, and you being able to jump right into her being the super, the superpowered lawyer for superpowered beings in, in trouble, I think... It's great. I, I I was glad to see Smart Hulk get on that ship and fly the hell wherever he's going <laughs> so we could actually get down to the hardcore lorry. Yeah, well, we'll talk about where he might be going. But after reading that interview, I think the, the episode surgery was pretty apparent, like pivoting from Jen practicing her power and responsibility speech at the start of the premiere to the car crash and the whole origin story was like a little bit of a a record scratch. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got here moment. And, you know, Titania makes her big entrance in the the literal courtroom battle and then basically disappears this week. So the sequencing may be sort of jarring in some ways, but I can't complain too much about front-loading the backstory. I mean, there may have been a more adventurous and less linear way to structure this season. And I know there's a lot of origin story fatigue here at the tail end of phase four, but when you're dealing with a lesser known character, as opposed to reintroducing Spider-Man or Superman or Batman for the umpteenth time, I think it makes some sense to catch people up before you get to episode eight, right? It's a long way to wait. But that's what I was going to say. I, 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 I couldn't imagine what we would be like week six with people. How the hell did she become <laughs> She-Hulk? Like, you know, at some right. point, just, just get it over with. Rip the bandaid off completely. So second question. In this episode, we got another glimpse of Smart Hulk. We got Abomination and callbacks and tie-ins to The Incredible Hulk and Shang-Chi. We got potential teases for X-Men, Planet Hulk, or World War Hulk, and Thunderbolts. We got an Eternals Easter egg. We have the stage set, possibly for a Wong appearance. How are you feeling about how this series is situated within the larger MCU and the focus on She-Hulk as a standalone character versus She-Hulk as a cog in the Marvel machine? How do you think that balance has been and, and what would you want the balance to be? Well, I, I will say that I hope by season's end we get more of a we, we get some more focus on She-Hulk and Jen as opposed to She-Hulk as part of this company inside of the MCU. It's uh it, it it can feel like this is more of a show about the MCU as opposed to the show about a character who who is going through her own situations and still learning how to be a, how to work with her powers. But I I don't think because the show doesn't feel like it has next to any stakes right now. It's it's kind of it's fine, you know. And it, 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 I in my world, I hope that Marvel takes some more risks to do less, you know, be able to make a sitcom within this hyper serious, hyper insane world and not have to worry about having to have it be so like it's, it's tethered, but it's not like the, the fate of phase four depends on what happens in the season one finale of She-Hulk. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. She-Hulk has never really existed as a solo act. I mean, I am not a She-Hulk scholar or completist, or at least I wasn't a few weeks ago, but <laughs> to prepare for these pods, I've spent a lot of time in the superhuman law library. I'm I'm riffling through the long boxes of She-Hulk comics from Stan Lee to Rainbow Rowell, and no matter which She-Hulk book you read, it's pretty rare for her to go more than a couple issues without some kind of crossover. Obviously, Bruce is part of her story from the start. 
but her legal work brings her into contact with all kinds of heroes and villains. And she's been in and out of the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and Future Foundation and the Fearsome Four and the Lady Liberators and A-Force and probably a bunch of other teams that everyone forgot ever existed. She's been part of the Secret Wars and the Civil Wars. Like, She-Hulk gets around in the Marvel Universe. And so part of the irreverent, self-referential nature of the character is that she tends to be pretty self-deprecating. There are a lot of references by She-Hulk and other characters in She-Hulk comics to her being a C or B-list superhero, no offense to Jen, and needing cameos to boost interest and sales. Like the cover of the third issue of John Byrne's sensational She-Hulk has her saying, it's my third issue, time for an obligatory guest star. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Spider-Man. Now, They couldn't get clearance to use Spider-Man characters in this series, but I think the same principle applies. Like, she's always been a joiner and an ally and a character connector. So as much as I like the occasional outlier like Moon Knight that kind of does its own thing, I think it's consistent with She-Hulk's history and occupation to be pretty plugged into the MCU. I, I just hope there's still some time devoted to the legal procedural aspects that set the series apart. Because based on Gao's comments, it, it sounds like the courtroom drama got dialed back a bit during the writing process. Right. Right. This episode really drills down on one of the core themes of She-Hulk and, and a lot of superhero stories for that matter, which is becoming comfortable with your identity. Just figuring out who you are around others, who you are on the inside, trying to resolve or embrace the tension between those two things. So I guess the answer might depend on your powers, but for you... What's the ideal breakdown between time spent as your alias and time spent in your superhero persona? (laughs) Yes, I was was gonna say, yeah, it it may be power dependent because if I could fly, I'm probably spending a good amount of time. You know, if if I was a superhero that involved flying, half a day could be spent just you know patrolling. Yeah, I'm just patrolling the area. Really, I'm just getting a joy. But you know, I I think it's one of those things where it might actually depend more on what your regular life is like if you're married with children and you have vacations and all these things but like if you're the only person in the household that has superpowers you're going to have to learn how to weave your super your superheroing in in, or your villainry into you know what the rest of the family's got going on are you going to make sure you're going to make the soccer game you know (laughs) there's a movie coming out on friday like you know you got to make the movie with the kids and the pizza later no but it's it's definitely i would love to not I, I would love to be able to make it a good like enthusiastic hobby you know what i mean like i don't want to spend all night as batman but you know like a a, a three-day weekend you know i like set up a mission that would be great you know i i, I just need to schedule it properly make sure i got enough time yeah i guess anything gets old after a certain <laughs> amount of time even superpowers and not that many superheroes have a healthy work-life balance for the exactly. most part or like a flourishing family life <laughs> which kind of frees up time for being a superhero and or villain 100%. so i guess that helps a little bit and it, it depends on the character too i mean not even what we would prefer but what we prefer in what we read or what we watch right i mean you're watching miss marvel for instance like her family life is in incredibly compelling in that show. It's not always the case. Sometimes you're like, all right, let's get to the the crime fighting and the punching, right? But sometimes that could be the highlight. So let's move on to the evidence stage. This will be our episode recap. So let's present the evidence by describing what went down here in episode two. So we pick up after Jen busts out of her suit 
and outs herself as She-Hulk to save the jury from Titania at the end of the premiere. She puts the beat down on her. So now she's the new superhero hotness and everyone at the bar is chanting She-Hulk like she's Norm walking into Cheers. She's not happy about the derivative unoriginal name and she's not interested in a new career. She says, I did not go to law school and rack up six figures in student loans. Hopefully some of those just got forgiven to become a vigilante. That is for billionaires and narcissists and adult orphans for some reason. <laughs> Shots fired at almost every other superhero there. Jeez. <laughs> As we were just saying, not always healthy, happy home lives <laughs> for right. superheroes. So her friend Nikki assures her that Hulk Jen is a total snack. She's got great hair and She-Hulk has other non-cosmetic advantages. We learned about the, the drinking last week. Jen Walters can't hold Hulk Jen's liquor, but... Even though she's a hero, she gets fired from the DA's office because GLK and H got her case declared a mistrial on the grounds that she biased the jury by saving their lives. Understandable, but what was she supposed to do? So she goes out for interviews. She can't get a job because everyone is worried she'll be a distraction. She has an awkward family dinner where she learns that her mom is just handing out her number to baristas left and right. And as we see in the stinger, she has to switch to She-Hulk form to help with heavy-duty chores at home, too. So you'd think that her hosts here would be cool about having another Hulk in the family. They've been through this before, but they're constantly comparing her to Bruce. So on the plus side, she has not leveled any cities like he has. But on the other hand, she has not saved billions of lives by reversing the snap. So... Gao says her favorite kind of comedy is taking a very high concept thing, like an extraordinary being who is a Hulk, and then grounding them in the minutia of everyday life. And I don't know about you, but the awkwardness of that dinner scene felt true to me, even as someone without superheroes. Did that cause any flashbacks for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's the well, what. What do you do? You know, like sitting down at Thanksgiving because I no none about nobody in my family has a real concept of like writing for the internet or like anything <laughs> exactly. like that. So yeah, yeah you, you you can you and it's not to say that they look at you any lesser, but it never feels like it, it's always like a yeah oh yeah that's cool you know and and she could have saved the you know, the world with a, a great case or whatever put somebody away, but it is what it is. But yeah, I, I think they really nailed the dinner scene. Um, and a number, and, and I think you mentioned the stinger, uh, of course the family's going to, Oh, I can't, she's got his powers. Oh yeah. We got, let's get these waters up. You know, I got to get this. I don't have a Jack. Let's get this tired. Like, you know, yeah, you're doing everything. You're doing everything, Jen. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I host Ringerverse podcasts. It, it, it doesn't produce the impression at Thanksgiving that you'd think it might. Maybe they in don't. some households <laughs> that would go over big, <laughs> but in mine, it's more, you do what for where? <laughs> okay. It's life. Good for you. So Jen is not after this point. After she escapes from her family's house, she goes back to the bar that's playing reruns of Ally McBeal, which raises the question, I think, of whether people on Earth 616 think it's strange that the actor Robert Downey Jr. looks a lot like Tony Stark because he is in some seasons of that show. But we'll put that aside for a second. So... <laughs> Mr. Holloway, the name partner who puts the H in GLK and H, he strolls up. He tries to hire Jen. She jumps at that job. But when she shows up for her first day, 
she finds out that there's a catch. Let's play that clip. It is an exciting time at GLKNH. More and more eccentric superhumans are coming out of the woodwork. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you, well, the She-Hulk, to be the face of it. Oh, uh, that means I'll expect you to be at work and in court as the She-Hulk. Not as a normal person. So Jen feels like she's being used for her fame as She-Hulk, and she's worried her colleagues won't think she's qualified, even though she is, which harkens back, I think, to last week's speech about how anger and fear are the baseline of any woman just existing and how Jen is great at controlling her anger because she has to do it all the time. That was, in a sense, sort of a, a mission statement for this show. And she's showing that here. She didn't ask to be She-Hulk. She didn't ask to be named She-Hulk. And now she's being given this job on the condition that the person she was be completely subsumed into her new identity as She-Hulk. So that's a lot to adjust to. And there's some precedent in the comics for this because the level of lawyering in the various She-Hulk books varies pretty widely as does the form she takes when she's at work. So in Dan Slott's 2004 run, the same sort of thing happens. There's a a mistrial declared because of a biased jury because she saved the world so many times. So GLK and H hires her, except that in that case, they want her to be Jen, not She-Hulk. So it's sort of the reverse. And then in the 2014 Charles Soule run, she's She-Hulk almost all the time. And in the current run, she switches back and forth. So it really varies. But in the show... On the plus side, she has the big corner office. She gets to work with Nikki. One of her new colleagues is Pug, who's a character from the Dan Slot She-Hulk run, who's played here by the great Josh Sagara from Arrow and the other two. And he's such a nice guy that he tells her the best place to poop, which is a crucial piece of office intel, especially if you eat as much as a 650-pound Hulk. I mean, I know we're, many of us, working from home these days, so we have the route down. We don't have to go far, but that could be clutch, depending on the office. (laughs) (laughs) So then Jen finds out about another serious string attached. She has to represent Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, at his parole hearing because the firm wants the publicity And this is going to cause some issues. This is non-negotiable. Either she takes this assignment or she's out. So she has some serious reservations because of Blonsky's battles with Bruce, but she agrees to go visit him at the Department of Damage Control's ultra high security prison. Blonsky tells her he's a changed man. He says he's reformed himself physically, spiritually. He explains that he's not responsible for his past actions because he was all hopped up on super soldier serum that the government gave him at the time. Jen is somewhat persuaded, decides to take the case. She calls her cousin ostensibly to get the go ahead on taking on Blonsky as a client, but really to tell him that she's made her decision. So Bruce jets off to Sakaar to save the CGI budget, I guess, (laughs) and Seems like he's gotten much more confident in Jen's adjustment than he was last week when it was like, don't leave because you might destroy a city block if you lose your temper. Now he's like, I'm going to leave the solar system. You 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 seem all set. (laughs) (laughs) So he's presumably on some pretty important business. So Jen tells Holloway she's in. And then before the credits roll, a wrench gets thrown into her defense because some footage of the abomination fighting Wong 
in the club from Shang-Chi leaks, which means that Jen will somehow have to explain Blonsky's little field trip to the parole board at the hearing. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's move on to the cross-examination phase here, where we talk about the crossovers in this episode, of which there were many. So first, what do you make of Tim Roth's pretty deep-cut return as Blonsky, who, aside from the Abomination's brief appearance in Shang-Chi, we really haven't seen since the second MCU movie and, and one of the more obscure MCU movies, 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Ben, when I tell you how long I've been... I, because... Marvel can't make the Hulk movie that I think they want. The Hulk movies they've been wanting to make, they've kind of, they've been like weaving this Hulk story in throughout the the MCU. So to be able to take and 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 not just take the abomination and throw somebody else in the role, but to go back and make sure you got the man Tim Roth. And it's it's a it's it, it's a very comic book. Like I would assume that a smart writer would be writing an abomination who has had time to reflect on life and you know get gain some spirituality. Writing yeah, haikus a little less and abominable than he used to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's a uh, it's a fun turnaround, and I think it, it felt again. You know, you you talked about the uh, the different comic book runs. It felt like like some of the things I liked about the, the 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 more procedural runs in the comic books for for She Hulk, where she was able to take it's it's a little bit humorous, to humorous take on what the, the the trials and tribulations on life in in the six one six, and I think this take felt 
very genuine for me. And the fact that they had the clip at the end, because I've been waiting to hear about that since I, I was sitting in the theater. And I said, oh, wait, that's the abomination in there. And I'm remembering the conversation between him and Wong during the match. I'm like, yeah, that that that's smart. I I, I, I I don't know where they're going, but I know that they're at least paying attention. and They're, they're making sure that I'm clued into that they're paying attention. So I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Right. I think Gao has said that that scene was in Shang-Chi in the first place because they knew that this was coming. And so they were setting it up for us. So he mentions being on loan to the U.S. government. There's been some speculation that he may end up in the Thunderbolts lineup. So that movie is still two years away at this point. And Gao predictably declined to say whether Blonsky's role in this series is setting up anything else. But if Jen does her job and springs him from prison... Maybe Valentina swoops in, adds him to a roster. He's also supposed to be in Marvel Zombies. So he's going to be a, a presence, it sounds like, at least in part of this series. And presumably, these things happen for a reason, right? <laughs> you don't bring back Blonsky after almost 15 years just to have him play a bit part in one Disney Plus series. So exactly. we're all just kind of reading the tea leaves here. But Nice that The Incredible Hulk gets uh, a little love after all this time, because that movie, it's not one of the more praised or <laughs> best remembered MCU films. It's it's one it's one of those things that remind you that they were not this cognizant of the MCU <laughs> when it first started out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, they were not thinking about She-Hulk in 2008 <laughs> when they were making The Incredible Hulk. So another crossover here. So last week we saw the Sakaran spaceship cause Jen and Bruce's car crash. Bruce said it was probably trying to deliver a message and that he'd have to get to the bottom of it. Evidently, he did, and pretty quick, because when he talks to Jen in episode two, he is piecing out of the solar system and possibly the series, for all we know, presumably on his way to Sakaar. So thoughts on the significance of this interstellar trip here? Uh, I, that's one of the things where I'm kind of like anything. I, I, I don't know. It's it's. I've been wondering about space in the MCU and and he's someone that's been to space before so I'm going to assume that maybe there was trouble that only a Hulk can handle you know what I mean but where that will pick up it's tough to say I I, I know there are some uh they, they've teased secret wars I believe for uh you know later on in in in, in phases five and six and uh I maybe it's it's something to do I don't know it's tough to say for me I'm I'm not as versed on that side of Hulk's story in the comics to know where he's going to be going. But I mean, is there any, am I close? Well, you're right that he's spent a ton of time in space, probably more time than he cared to. Yeah. I, I think what people are hoping is that we're one step closer to a fuller-fledged planet Hulk than we got in Ragnarok or, or even a World War Hulk and that whole storyline which, again, is pending Marvel Universal distribution rights squabbles, which you alluded to earlier. So well, I remember that was kind of where we were at at Ragnarok. So I, I and I don't want to say that's not the case, but I'm just I'm I, I'm going to I'm going to need to see something that's going to let me know that MCU is able to dip in those bags for, for the Hulk specifically. Right. So maybe the message was, hey, come do something about your son's scar now that you're healed. <laughs> it's, it's time to be a hands-on Hulk dad. Come get your man. <laughs> so maybe that's a tease for season two. 
Right. It's hard to say whether this is setting up a whole separate Hulk series or movie down the road or whether he'll be back by the end of this season. We don't know whether this is the end of him in She-Hulk season one, at least. But this, unless this is just a, a wild misdirect or just getting Jeff Goldblum back or something, I mean, it seems like this is building up to something. Obviously, people are excited, people who are into Hulk and all of his big comic storylines and World War Hulk, etc. They're hoping that we're going to get a, a series or a, a movie that will actually do justice to those things. Remains to be seen, but they're they're clearly dropping breadcrumbs here. And speaking of breadcrumbs that could lead to some anticipated project, when Jen is browsing offbeat jobs, she's looking into becoming a mascot when she's desperate. One of the headlines on her screen says, Man fights with metal claws in bar brawl. Now, that sounds like only one person that I can think of. I mean, I guess anyone could theoretically fight with metal claws in a bar brawl. It probably has happened. But when you read that, you think Wolverine. So is this a throwaway gag? Is this canonical confirmation that Wolverine exists in the MCU now? Is this just building buzz for the X-Men 97 series? Is this just a, a red herring? What do you see this as? As a as as a fan of Wolverine and the X Men growing up, I hope it's confirming that Wolverine is going to be in the MCU at some point. If it, I will be upset if they were just like out throwing Ally McBeal on the TV, just making a random <laughs> reference because of where they are. Because um, I, I and, and with with the Hulk and and Wolverine's history in the comics. You know how, how people come about. It's um, it's one thing that I would like to see. Uh, I don't know if that would mean that they would be debuting. Like, like would they be uh, backdoor piloting a, a, a Wolverine into a series like this? But uh, it's a str- for me, it's a strong indicator that they've at least got something going on with uh, with the X Men and or just mutants in general in the MCU. Right. Mutants have made their way in after the Miss Marvel finale and X-Men were notably absent from the several years long roadmap that Marvel most recently presented for the MCU. So there's still some uncertainty about the timing there, but there are a lot of indications that it's coming. And just generally, it's a safe bet that any popular character who has existed, as soon as it's legally viable (laughs) to integrate them into the MCU, that will be done. So whether this is just a throwaway little line in an Easter egg for everyone or whether it portends something concrete, we will see. But I enjoyed it regardless. And here's the thing. I I think what I most appreciate about the crossovers in this series so far isn't the possible setups for future projects, but the way that the writers are poking fun at the MCU and incorporating common fan talking points. Like last week, we got an answer to the question of Cap's virginity, and we got a tribute to the science boyfriends, Bruce and Tony. This week, we got a winking reference to Eternals, right? Because the other visible headline on Jen's screen in that scene says, why is there a giant statue of a man sticking out of the ocean? which is an excellent question. Seems like it should be a very common question in the MCU at this point. I hope that article is getting great traffic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not all, though, because we also got Jen wondering aloud this week, do the Avengers offer health care, maternity leave, a pension? Are they even paid? 
We've all wondered that, I think, since the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if not before. Before. And even in the comics, Jen is sometimes strapped for cash when she's an Avenger. She's happy just to get free room and board. So we also got Jen's dad wondering whether Hawkeye collects his arrows when he's done. (laughs) And then when Bruce is talking about Blonsky, he says, that fight was so many years ago. I'm a completely different person now, literally. And then we get one of the fourth wall breaks and Jen says, ha, which in universe, that could be a reference to Smart Hulk. But IRL, it's a reminder that Mark Ruffalo is not Ed Norton. (laughs) So is that what they call a double entendre? (laughs) Yeah, I like this because the satire and the boundary breaking that John Byrne brought to the She-Hulk comics that She-Hulk is most known for wasn't really just about Jen addressing the reader directly. It was also about lightly and lovingly mocking comic book convention, just like the tropes of that type of storytelling, the way that the panels work and characters move from one part of the page to the next, the patterns from page to page and issue to issue. And it feels to me like that's what Gao is doing here, just highlighting some of the absurdities inherent in superhero stories that we all just take for granted and we suspend our disbelief. And of course, you can get that sort of satire in The Boys and Invincible and Harley Quinn and plenty of other places. But here the call is coming from inside the MCU, right? So, (laughs) And, and, And again, I don't think you can do that in The Boys, but at some point, there's stakes like, you know, they're, they're, they they have something that it's going to get very serious. There's going to be a bunch of people that are about to die. It's just about exactly. to happen. And She-Hulk, you not to say that that's not going to be the case, but as of right now, I don't think it's going to get that serious. So, uh, you know, let and uh, being the, the fourth wall breaking is what I got into when I first started reading Deadpool before they went like OD with, you know, the two different voices battling. But again, <laughs> that the stuff like that and the way you the way you so eloquently described it is really like why I loved picking up a comic book and reading it. Because once you understand the confines and you see how people break it and the conversations we can have as a, as a creator and a, and a reader and then how that all works within the city, it's fascinating. And I think the show pick gal picks up on a lot of that. And it's, it, it, it satisfies the stuff that I don't get in a lot of these other shows that are more about building the world of higher stakes and intensity, as opposed to just, coloring in the rest of the picture of the MCU when we're not worrying about uh, a light in the sky or, you know, g- giant beasts that are going to be raining down <laughs> on the world. Like, you know, we're, we're just trying to figure out if Blanks is going to be able to get out so he can be with his, uh, the, 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 the seven brides to be. <laughs> yes. His pen pals. Yeah. Oh, he's my. been busy, busy writing <laughs> letters in there, but yeah, I, I wrote about that after the most recent Boys season finale, because, you know, that show started out trying to portray, and of course, the series that it's based on, just trying to say, here's what this would really be like, right? Like what we've read about in Marvel and DC. Here's what these characters would really look like. Here's how they would behave. Here's how things would work in this world. But The Boys is a blockbuster franchise in its own right now, and the stakes are just as high as they are in any Marvel blockbuster. So... Now we're getting sort of the the lower stakes version of Marvel where we can poke fun at these things 
And it's okay, right? Because, I mean, I guess the universe is always at stake to some extent in just about any Marvel series, but here, less so than most. So it, it feels like we can just take our time and make some jokes, and it's okay. And of course, you have people like us trying to read into everything and wondering, does this mean that X-Men are coming? So you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But 100%. I think it's it's intended in the spirit of, let's just have some fun here. So in that spirit... Here's a section that I'm going to call a legal brief. So I have a lot of lawyer friends and family members, not all of whom hate their jobs and regret going to law school. (laughs) Seems like some of them do. But I figured one fun way of watching this show each week would be just to examine how She-Hulk attorney at law is handling the law. Because on the one hand, it's a superhero sitcom, so we can't hold it to high standards for realism. On the other hand, it is a legal procedural, so why not take a look at the legal procedures? So this week, I wanted to focus on whether it is kosher for She-Hulk to represent Blonsky despite his history with her cousin, the Hulk. So let's tee up a little clip here. I'm sorry, but I can't represent him, sir. I have a serious conflict of interest. This man tried to kill my cousin, Bruce. Yeah, that's quite all right. Mr. Blonsky is well aware of your familial connection and has signed a conflict waiver. He would like to retain you specifically as his attorney. Okay, Cal, what do you think? Do you think this is all above board, that this conflict of interest is not a deal breaker as long as we have this signed waiver? Does this pass the sniff test for you? The the wave, him already pulling, producing the piece of paper is very sketch. But I think <laughs> it's, I mean, in 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 what in the world of the law, I've always I've heard. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always heard the conversation about what, what if you know your client has done X Y Z? How could you still defend them? But it's, you, you, this is why you went to school. This is what you're supposed to do based off of how the legal system works. And I think she was. I, I appreciated that she was very quick to be like, I can't do it. She's, But that's her thinking about her family and not thinking about her job. Mm-hmm. If Blonsky's okay with it, knowing that at some point she could, pro- if she wanted to, she could go toe to toe with them in whatever form. I think it's okay. I I, I think it's okay. And I, I think it's really big of, of, of Jen to want to want to go through with it after the fact, because she's not been in this world before. Yeah, so everyone's entitled to their day in court or their day in front of the parole board. But I had my doubts about this arrangement just because of the history here. But here's what I heard from one of my friends who is a a senior counsel at a firm in New York, wishes to remain anonymous for now. (laughs) Granted, I think he does finance law, not superhuman law, but this should still apply. So as a starting point, Attorneys are not allowed to accept representation of a client if they have a conflict that could adversely affect their ability to fairly represent the client. But the typical kind of conflict is where you already represent another client. So say a lawyer gives advice to a given bank on some tax issues or something, and then they get a new client who wants to sue that same bank. That's probably a conflict, and they generally can't represent the second client unless Both clients sign an informed consent waiver, and the lawyer thinks that they can adequately represent both of them without their judgment being affected. But She-Hulk's situation is not a clear professional conflict of that kind. It's more of a personal conflict, which the rules of professional conduct 
which govern this kind of thing, address pretty vaguely. So the rule is you can't represent someone if, quote, there is a significant risk that the lawyer's professional judgment on behalf of a client will be adversely affected by the lawyer's own financial, business, property, or other personal interests. Now, there's probably not much precedent for a conflict of this exact nature, (laughs) not just because of the superhuman element, but also because of the part about the client having tried to kill the lawyer's cousin. Right, right, right. (laughs) This is the personal beef that spilled off in the professional life, yeah. The specific situation probably doesn't arise all that often, but it does seem to fall within the other personal interests kind of conflict. Nevertheless, my lawyer source says, She-Hulk can still represent abomination if, quote, the client reasonably believes that the lawyer will be able to provide competent and diligent representation to each affected client and each affected client gives informed consent confirmed in writing. So the only types of conflict that can't be waived with informed consent are ones where you literally represent two parties on opposite sides of a transaction or litigation. And that's not what's happening here. So technically, she hooks in the clear here in the clear because she got the waiver from Blonsky. She's decided that she can represent him without conflict. Of course, there's the question of whether she really can when it comes right down to it. So if this were a trial the prosecution could object to her representation because they wouldn't want to try the whole case, win, and then potentially have it overturned on appeal because it's decided that actually She-Hulk was conflicted and therefore Abomination received ineffective assistance of counsel. So if the prosecution objected, then the judge would want to have a hearing and question She-Hulk and might rule that she can't represent Abomination. However, In this case, it's not a trial. It's a parole board hearing. So there might not be a judge or a prosecution and the decision might not be subject to appeal. So basically, I think she could do this. (laughs) I think it's okay. The perfect storm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only risk, which is low because this would be a high profile case in the first place, is that maybe the Bar Association or the Board of Professional Ethics or something in the state where she's representing abomination could investigate and decide to censure or disbar her because they don't think she could have represented Abomination without her judgment being affected. But if she argues that she no longer bore a grudge against Abomination because Bruce forgave him and she herself was persuaded by the super soldier serum defense, then she could probably beat any ethics charge. So, and the, we got to remember the world's changing. We're how many years after you know the blip and you know the the, the the battle in New York. Like you know, there's been so much that's happened in this universe that yeah, it's it's we're at the point where we need super powered lawyers to take care of the super powered beings that are in legal trouble. Right. There's a, a She-Hulk comic where she gets a ghost admitted to the stand, someone who has died. On the grounds that like half the people on Earth have died and have returned from death right wow. after the blip. Wow, so, that's smart. That's yeah. a good, good lawyer in there. Good lawyer. Exactly. My friend also bought the idea that this firm would want the publicity from representing Abomination, even though he is believed to be a mass murdering monster. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. especially if they're trying to get their superhuman law division off the ground, like maybe you drive off some superhero clients. But representing supervillains, probably more billable hours, more lucrative than representing superheroes, right? E- easy TMZ clicks or whatever that equivalent is. Yeah. And you saw the news is already picked up on it. So, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's not it's 
not like she's not a known name already. She, they, she, oh, yeah, they were cheering. It, 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 she, she is a meme. Exactly. Then again, reportedly no reputable lawyers will represent Donald Trump these days, <laughs> despite the publicity. So make of that what you will. Anyway, good point. Good point. I'm giving She-Hulk a, a good grade here, although I will say I'm not sure about the legality of Jen's employer mandating that she has to look like She-Hulk yeah, after, absolutely, absolutely. after offering her the job. But we'll, we'll let that slide for now. It, it sounds like a think piece may be coming out about that in another five, yeah. ten years. Yeah. yeah, maybe next week we'll get to that one. So... <laughs> That takes us to our closing arguments. So a few final questions here. First, would you hire She-Hulk? Yes. I, I, I think right now, even on the base of just being like a competent adult who is eager to be a lawyer. Yeah, come on in. I, I And add in the fact that she I would I mean, not I don't care about the She-Hulk stuff in employing her at all, but. That's a it's definitely a plus just in terms of getting to understand different walks of life. But yeah. Oh, based off resume alone, I think Jen would be at my, at my practice. Yeah, she's clearly a, a competent lawyer. And if you're starting a superhuman law division, you get the first mover advantage here. You get a superhuman lawyer. There aren't that many of those to go around. <laughs> we know that daredevils out there, but, you know, you're not picking from that many of them. So you get an advantage here. You attract the best clients. And I think it makes some sense. Like you're taking on some risk, obviously, because she's been She-Hulk for like days at this yeah, point. Yeah. And Bruce seemed pretty concerned about whether she could actually control her powers. So he was you last do week. run some risk of a disaster. But. This week he's fine about it. He, he, he took off to Sakaar. He's, he's, he's good with it. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a vote of confidence. I mean, <laughs> would I feel better if she had been vetted by some other firm first? You know, like right. maybe she, she worked there for a while. She wasn't a good fit, but she didn't like destroy the building or anything. I, I'd feel a little bit better. Is there something that could have, I mean, they, they're they cameo heavy. Like you could have gotten a, a, a Don Cheadle to come in and be like, you know, there's some type of certification that she would need to say, okay, she's fit to be out in the world as a superpowered lawyer or what have you. It's, it, it doesn't seem like it's a hard fix. Yeah. All right. Second question. Jessica Gao said in that same variety interview, every week I was told, can you cut more She-Hulk scenes? Can you change more She-Hulk scenes to Jen? Can she be Jen in more scenes? There were a lot of things that then had to be changed at the last minute to go from She-Hulk to Jen because they told her, yeah, sky's the limit on the CGI budget here. <laughs> and then it turned out, actually, it wasn't maybe the limit. And they wanted a little less CG if possible. And we know about all the issues that have gone on with Marvel and VFX lately. So... What is this week's best example of Jen appearing as Jen instead of She-Hulk, potentially to save on CGI costs? Is there a scene where she's Jen instead of She-Hulk, where like, I wonder whether that was one of the scenes where they were like, you know what, we can make her Jen instead and save some cash here. I, I was, in, it was very early in, in, in the scene where she's in the bar, she walks in as Jen. Yeah. Her old boss, her now soon to be old boss walks up to her and he says, hey, can you be Jen? And I, in my head, I'm like, she wants to be Jen all the time. So like, even though she's like, you know, hammered or whatever, like, like I think she's, it's easier for her to be like, yeah, sure, I'll be Jen. Somebody wants me to be Jen. So I justifying that in my mind. I don't know if that if if I'm overworking, you know, my my, my uh, appreciation for the series, but I uh, I liked seeing that and ha having that be a way to transform her to her to her normal form. Yeah, 
I think she's still sort of on the fence about which form she prefers at this point. And, and that's kind of a constant struggle in the comics. Sometimes she decides that she wants to be Jen all the time. Sometimes she wants to be She-Hulk all the time. Often she realizes that there's some utility in being both or one or the other at various times. My pick here was when she goes to the prison to visit Blonsky, right? She's trying to go in as She-Hulk and they tell her, you know, no superpowers here, right? So you have to be Jen while you're visiting Blonsky. Now that makes some sense in theory, but she could turn back into She-Hulk at any moment, right? So this is just, I mean, this is eyewash. This is just for appearances sake that they want her to be Jen. She still has the same superpower and the same potential to be She-Hulk, so this is just for show, really, and possibly to slash the CGI budget slightly. Yeah. That was my thought. They, I mean, because I think it, even in the comics, I mean, and I remember from like X-Men one specifically, or, or when you would go to the, what is it, the raft or whatever, they, they put those collars on you to depower you, to totally take your powers away. I'm not, I don't know if she would have contested that being a lawyer and, you know, rights and everything, but... Again, it, it, it could have been an easier fix if there was a bracelet or, you know, something that something that made sure that her powers were tame when she was in there. But it, it, I, I guess the, 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 the thought was. I don't I don't know. I, it, it's tough to say, but I, I, I can't imagine a world where. That would be in the comics, that wouldn't be a thing at all. She would have been wearing something, some type of ankle bracelet or something. Right. Yeah. In the comics, at one point, she has like a gamma charger, which is like when she's having trouble switching between forms. It's a little bit like what Bruce was wearing last week exactly. before his selves were fused back together. And this was something that could kind of control when she was witch. So maybe you could have some kind of thing that's imposed on her along those right. lines. Maybe they don't know that she can switch back and forth at will. I don't know. But yeah, that's a little, a little sketchy, potentially from a security standpoint. Right. And last question, I don't know if this is kind of a controversial question, but is this series funny? Does it make you laugh? Because this is a sitcom, right? It's supposed to make you laugh. Is it doing its job? Sometimes. <laughs> I, 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 the fourth wall breaking, I, I, I will crack up. I think they, they, there's a lot of wit in her aside especially to, to, the, to, the, to the people. Um, and I think there are moments that are genuinely funny, but I think it's it's not the stuff in the office. I think the humor that they're trying to build with uh with with her her, her friend is a Jill and and then put like some of that it's funny, but it's not. I'm not cracking up at that humor like I am the way she's breaking the fourth wall and comment. The, the again the more the the more uh, uh, esoteric thoughts about the MCU specifically that we were speaking about earlier. That's that self referential stuff is great. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's Marvel funny. <laughs> you know? It's good. It makes me smile. It's clever. There are moments, I think, when it rises above that. I, I wouldn't stack it up to the funniest sitcoms out there in terms of like punchlines per minute or anything here. I'm not saying it can't get there and I'm enjoying it regardless. But if we're evaluating it purely on that grounds, <laughs> it's it's not top of the scale funniness by sitcom standards yet, I would say. Right. All right. Last section here, our verdict, our closing thoughts on the episode and the series so far. The podcast prosecution has rested. We are ready to render our verdict. So in honor of Blonsky's comeback and his letters of heartfelt remorse to his former victims, 
Can you give me your best haiku to sum up your thoughts on this episode or the series? This is my best. I've not written a haiku since whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're it's, in grade school. It's been school. a while. We were Googling the syllable rules and C- counting C- on our fingers. Counting <laughs> fingers. All right. Yeah. This is this is for episode two, but this is probably going to be for the, the this, this, this season in general. Uh, this She-Hulk show is good, but also feels aimless. Mm. Gotta love that phase four. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Nice. All right. Mine is pretty good episode. Promising series so far. Now it needs romance. <laughs> ah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. That's what I want from this series and this character. That's a, a big part of the comics that we haven't seen show up yet, but 100%. perhaps we will sometime soon. All right. Let's take a recess. Cal, thank you for being this week's expert witness. Thank you for having me. I hope I did all right on the stand. I think we did okay. And thank you to our producer, Carlos Cherubogo, who will make it sound like we did okay, even if we did not. Thanks to him for that and for being our bailiff and producer today. Thanks to Arjuna Ramgopal for his expert podcast management. Arjuna's a little under the weather this week. That's just what happens when you hit 30. Your body starts breaking down. But we're injecting him with Hulk blood. He'll be back on his feet soon. So stay tuned. For Mal and Joe on Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday, Midnight Boys on Wednesday, and more of me next week. <laughs>